Welcome to episode 61 of The Process, Becoming JD. Thank you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. Process podcast. I am Quavon Taylor. And I am Amante Martin. Today we have attorney Anthony Denmark on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, attorney Denmark. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and tell you guys about the process and also about how you could make your lawyer dreams come true. Regardless of whatever obstacle that may be in your way, realize that you got the power to change. Hey, we're glad to have you on. Uh, could you tell the listeners where you're from? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm here from St. Louis, Missouri, but I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Country Music USA in the house. Nashville, Tennessee. So you got what? The Tennessee Titans, the Vanderbilt, what are they? The Commodore, what, what the Commodores? Commodores, yeah. <laughs> Tennessee <laughs> State Tigers and Fisk. There you go, Fiskites. Yep, right around you, the street. You have all these universities. What was it like growing up in a city like Nashville, Tennessee? Man, it was very, very slow and very, very uh, like Mayberry. Uh, everybody knew everybody. That means you put, if you did anything wrong, you were gonna get a spanking by your neighbors and everybody else at the church. But I mean, that's, that, that tells you how old I am, but also lets me know how much Nashville has changed. And it's nowhere like that anymore. <laughs> did you have any siblings? Were you raised by your parents? Yeah, I was raised by I was raised by my mom. Uh, it was two of us. It was me and my sister. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, my mom really worked hard to try to make sure that we had everything that we needed, and she really placed a huge emphasis on education because she felt that that was the only way to be able to help you uh, manifest your dreams and uh, try to uh, make some things happen differently for your life. So, at a young age, did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer, or? What was your aspirations at that age? Uh, at a very about nine or 10 years old, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I remember I went to my godfather's house and watched this TV show called Perry Mason. I know that dates me, but it was like pre-Madlock. And it was seeing this white man uh, try to help and defend people. And I was like, you know what? I want to be the black Perry Mason. And when I got older, getting an opportunity as I grew older, I was able to see, uh, you know, lawyers and the impact that they had on people. 
live. And, you know, I just really wanted to be a part of that, you know, having an opportunity to really alter the landscape of not only a person, but also with regards to their families. And, you know, seeing that and being a part of that is something that's really kind of cool for my entire life. So what led you to Morehouse? Man, there wasn't no other option for me. Uh, I remember when I was 13 years old and there used to be this uh, PBS special that came on called Morehouse Man. And it came on at like three o'clock in the morning. My mother woke me up. And after watching that Morehouse Man PBS special, man, it was all, it was sealed up for me. Uh, but uh, when I actually graduated from high school, my mother offered me a wager. She was like, listen, if you go to North Carolina A&T, which was her alumni, I'll give you a car and an apartment. And I was like, you know what? I think I'll just take them loans from Morehouse. Sometimes I think about that car <laughs> and an apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I made the right choice. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 so while at Morehouse, what did you study? I was a, I was a political science major. Um, and I really just spent a lot of my time and really trying to, I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I knew one of the important things for me to do was uh, improve on my writing. And so I wrote, I wrote for the Maroon Tigers, which was kind of like our school paper. And I worked in, in the sports department and also in regards to uh, just writing some random articles. And I uh, really, really just understood, I had to learn what hard work was. You know, I really didn't know what it meant to work hard until I went to college and I got my first C. And then I realized that, you know, man, um, you actually gotta, you're not as smart as you think you are. And, you know, and things kind of changed for me. And I remember staying up late at night at four o'clock in the morning, just working relentlessly from an art test to a history test. I remember my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she'd be like, you don't need to worry about art. You need to focus on this uh, political theory that you need to work on. But I was just so obsessed with trying to make sure um, that I was going to put my best foot forward. And because uh, my mother told me my freshman year, she said, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you're going to have to find a way to get some money to go to school because I remortgaged my home and I don't have anything else to give. And so from my freshman year, I was working not just to try to get good grades, but also to try to get a scholarship. And so I was very fortunate um, that I was able to get an Oprah Winfrey scholarship uh, for my last three years of school and was able to get that tuition paid. And so for that, it was just like realizing that, you know what, working hard ain't pretty, but boy, man, those results, when you make those sacrifices, man, it can pay some huge dividends and uh, make a huge difference in your life overall. So once you graduated from Morehouse, where did life take you? Well, I assumed that, you know, at that time that, you know, I was like, you know, I've worked hard, so, you know, I deserve to go to law school. But uh, it don't work out that way. You, you have to always continue to elevate and evolve. And that was just something that I really did not understand immediately. Because I applied to 20 law schools and I just assumed that, you know, I got a three, three GPA and, you know, my LSAT score wasn't the best. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go to law school. Somebody's going to accept me. Then you got that reality check you get rejected from all 20 schools that you applied to. And so I had a choice. I was back at my home with my moms in the room that I grew up in, <laughs> working at the gas station that I was at when, when I was in high school. And I was faced with the choice of 
was I willing to was I willing to put in the work necessary to change where I was at? at? And being at home, walking from my, the gas station home every day, realizing how different my life was just a year ago. Uh, while my friends were in law school, my friends were in medical school, it really motivated me. And I was able to get my LSAT score up, I got my GP, and I was able to get into law school. And I was very, very, very fortunate. Uh, uh, but you would have thought that even after that, I would, I would I would not take my foot off the gas. But you know what? I got into Tulane, that's New Orleans, and I took my foot off the gas again. And you would have thought I would have learned my lesson at every step from Morehouse to Oprah Winfrey Scholar to not getting into law school. But I had to learn my lesson again because when I was at law school, unfortunately, I enjoyed Mardi Gras just a little bit too much. I was a part-time law student and I got a point six GPA and I got dismissed. And so again, I was faced with the dilemma of the same thing I was in when I was at the gas station. It was like, what am I going to do now? The dean of the school told me, Anthony, maybe being a lawyer is not just for you. Maybe you should be a police officer. Now, I love my police officer, but that was not what I was meant to be. And I grinded my butt off. While my wife was trying to do her thing to try to become a doctor, I was determined. I saw her working hard late nights, grinding to make her, her next school dreams come true. And even though I had got dismissed, I was like, I'm going to find a way back to law So I went and got my master's at Northwestern. I got my master's at USC. And I was able to get back into law school, which is something that's unheard of. And after that, of course, I refused to make those same mistakes again. I finally learned my lesson and was able to get make, work my way through law school. And it was such a rewarding experience. But for me, after going through all those things, it was like, I want, there's so many people out there who have given up when they thought it was possible. So many promising lawyers who could change communities, people's lives. And I was like, that's where my calling is. I want to help people who have the dream of becoming a lawyer. I want to protect their dreams and help them navigate a path to fulfill their dreams because we need more black and brown lawyers. It's only 2% black women lawyers and only 3% black uh, male lawyers. And that's nothing to brag about. This week marks the 66th anniversary of Brown Free Board of Education. We need so much more progress that we need to make at this time. So being rejected from 20 schools, what did you learn? And what advice could you give someone else who feels being rejection is failure. Every time you are not so-called successful, it's a lesson that you need to adhere to. It's not a loss, it's a lesson and you have to sit back and figure out what did I do wrong? For me, what I did wrong is I was avoiding the tough part of evaluating myself for what I need to improve on. Oftentimes in life, when we see wrong answers, we avert our eyes from them. However, it's the people who are truly successful, they invest so much time in exploring and evaluating the things that they do wrong, that it becomes their strength. Because I was not putting all my attention on trying to prove my LSATs because I thought, hey, I signed up for a prep course. Hey, I've done everything I needed to do. But in hindsight, prep courses are a resource, right? And 
it's important for you to be able to understand when preparing for the LSAT. To all my LSAT takers out there, it's not, it's all about evaluating the areas that you need to improve. I tell my clients and my students this corny line. I say, if you make your wrong answers your bay, you know, B-A-E bay, then you'll be good because you know when your bae's birthday is. You know what your bae's favorite food is. You know everything about that person who you care about. So if you were to place that same emphasis and attention towards certain question types that give you trouble, towards certain reading comprehension question types that you always get wrong, what's gonna happen? The same way that you are able to familiarize yourself with your lady or your friend or whoever, that's the same thing that's gonna happen with your LSAT school. And the other thing that I learned is just how important it is to be aware of your competition. Now, I love my frats, I love my organization, but what you have to be mindful of is that when you apply to law school, there's so many people who have the same information on their resume. And it becomes so important for you to understand how important it is for you to be able to provide things on your resume to distinguish you from other people. There's going to be somebody who may be in the same frat, same civil war, same volunteer organization. But the thing is you have to make sure that you are providing something that that is not that is not copy, copy, uh, what I call uh, copy proof, which means that I could take your name off of it and put it on somebody else's resume or application, and it's the same thing. And so those are the things that I had to learn the tough way. And I try to make sure that my clients and everybody else who's interested in becoming lawyers are, are able to get the information about. Well, what I love about uh, what you said so far is that in a way God has used that very thing that you thought or could have been a failure to actually turn around and be something that you can kind of minister to them about. For example, you know, this is what happened to me, you know, with the 20 rejections and and this is the path that I took. And from that, you probably have mentored so many people to, to attain a JD, which is amazing. Uh, I want to ask, how did you distinguish yourself uh, when it was time for you to go to law school so it could be uh, copy proof or would it be copy proof? Uh, well, what I did was um, I said to myself, what is what are things that people who look like me aren't going to have on their application right now for those people out there who are very fortunate enough to have lawyers and judges um in their rolodex or in their phones that's great but what i challenge myself to say is i know that there's going to be people who have concerns about my scores or before especially if you were dismissed from law school like i was and so I needed to get letters of recommendation from people who are really going to have a good reputation because that means that if they have a, re a good reputation, then them speaking highly of me is going to, you know, mean something. And so I made it my, I made it my goal that I was going to get letters of recommendations from lawyers and judges and not just any lawyers and judges. I wanted to get lawyers and judges from the law schools that I was applying to. So I spent some time looking at lawyers and judges at the schools that I wanted to go to. And then I tried to find out if in fact those lawyers and judges were in the vicinity. 
And I made it my conscious effort because I wanted, because when you apply to law school, you have to understand that everybody and their mom is going to be sitting sending letters of recommendations from their professor. Now that may be great, but that doesn't set you apart. What sets you apart is who you decide to get to write about you and what those people say about you. And so I was going to courtrooms and I was handing out my cards at state bar association meetings. Now, I did not have a license. I was not even a law student or a lawyer at that time, but I was determined to make sure that I was gonna do everything in my power to set myself apart because lawyers and judges have something reputable behind their name. And if you're able to get a lawyer and a judge to write a letter of recommendation for you, it's gonna mean just a little bit something different than all the other LORs that they're gonna get from Professor Who and Professor, Professor Who from whatever class. And so that helped me immensely. And it really opened up doors that ultimately ended up leading to me being able to secure a federal clerkship, which is unheard of for a person to be able to do, especially when they're not in the top 3% of the class. But that process is something that I always advise my clients to do, even if you haven't been dismissed, because having someone else speak highly of you who has, who is practicing law, who is rocking a black robe, that's something that's gonna help pay massive dividends when the law school is trying to make it a decision between you and someone else. Because at the end of the day, your scores, your GPAs, are all the same, but what's different is how you write, who writes about you, and also in regards to what experience and receipt did you provide on your Once you got into law school, you know, how was that transition for you, your 1L year, you know, that learning curve of being cold called and things like that? I'll tell you this, man, I was hungry. I was so hungry uh, after getting back into law school. Uh, I was in a situation where, because my wife at that time was in was in the midst of her med school journey too. And so I literally had to travel two hours, four hours a day to go to law school, two hours one way and two hours back. Classes started at eight, which means that I had to be up by, up by 5.30, drop the kids off at six and speed from um, one part of South Carolina all the way to Charleston to try to make sure that I got the class on time. And if I wasn't on time, by eight, the professor locked the door. And so I was determined because I will always carry with me the words of the dean from Tulane Law School. And I used to be angry at him, but now I realize it was one of the best things he ever said to me that would change my life. And I always say, maybe you should be a police officer. Maybe you're not smart enough to do this. And I always just thought about that. And man, I just really was relentless because I tell you this, with your first year of law school, it's all about understanding that you know nothing. Everything that you did to get here, you have to be able to be open to learning how to do things differently. Um, it's one of the biggest struggles that people have because memorization is not going to get you anywhere. It all comes down to daily preparation. And by preparing daily as if the exam is the next day, you build on your knowledge. And then you take that knowledge. And of course, you're able to prepare in those open cold call class settings. Um, and one of the things that I always tell my, tell my clients and I tell everybody else is that realize that those professors are there to teach you. I was determined not to fail or flunk off again. And so I met with professors on weekends. I, I would I met with professors daily. 
Uh, my property professor at times, she would kick me out of her office because I realized that I was paying money to get a law, law school education. One of the things that I made, my, made a realization is that so many people enter law school afraid and intimidated by their professors. But people don't realize that those professors are there to serve a purpose. So many people don't meet with their professors during office hours. I was determined to realize that I, I was aware that guess what? Who's making the exam? The professor. So if you either have a choice, you could go get a commercial outline and try to go through their answers, or you could go to the source and get the answers the way that they want to have them presented. And so I was in professor's office daily. I had my property professor kick me out of her office hours several times, but I was not going to allow, I wasn't gonna let effort be the reason because a lot of people missed out on opportunities in law school especially during their first semester because of pride and ego. They think they've known, they think they're smart enough, they think they're gonna figure it out. I was not gonna put anything to change. My wife is OBGYN and I want to become a lawyer. What advice do you give someone like me about being a supportive husband while also pursuing my goal of becoming a lawyer? Well, I mean, one of the things that becomes important is about this communication. Uh, one of the things is you have to be aware that every party is gonna be when I have to make a sacrifice, there's going to be a lot of understanding both ways. Um, I know one of the things for me and my wife uh, was that it was just important for us to make sure that we uh, were aware of everything that someone had to do. And we were very blessed um, that uh, we had a daycare uh, set up that was very uh, supportive of us. And But nevertheless, you just had to make some harsh, harsh exceptions. And that one of those biggest exceptions is just accepting the fact that that's what, you're just going to be tired, man. And, and it's going to be hard, but you just have to realize that at the end of the day, you know, it's going to work itself out. I mean, there was many nights where I fall asleep uh, holding uh, my newborn son at that time while studying. And my wife's about to, my wife was beside me studying as well. But those sacrifices made those days it's going to be something that's going to benefit you immensely later on in life and i just encourage you to just make sure that you have an understanding heart and realize that uh you know your wife is going to be grinding and you're going to be grinding as a team you guys united building and growing something special together coming into law school so prepared you know how was your overall law school experience it was it was refreshing because I think um, when I think about my law school experiences, the first time compared to the second time, it was a difference. And my first time that I was, went through law school where I was dismissed, I was, my mindset was, I had an optimistic mindset where, because all my life I was able to figure things out. And, but that mindset was totally different um, my second time around because I realized that that dream could be taken away from me. And I never forgot, you know, how it was to be able to go from being in law school, which I was, to all of a sudden cleaning gym equipment with watching my classmates and watching my professors in the gym. But me being now not a law student, but a person who's working in the gym. And so those are things that I carry with me. And I just want people to understand who are in the process of applying to law school is realize that, you know, nothing is given to you, but 
I tell you, if law school is a business, and they will definitely take it away from you. And so you have to make sure that you work uh, relentlessly to ensure that you're putting your best foot forward. Because every day uh, you're auditioning for an opportunity for a job, for a clerkship, for uh, uh, to get your grades where you need them to be. And I mean, I realize that, you know, if you take it to that, if you realize that it can be taken from you, then that'll help you in regards to working while other people are asleep. Once you graduated from law school, did you take and pass the bar your first time? Uh, no, I didn't take the bar, but I'm strongly considering doing it. But now with the COVID-19 crisis happening, I'm not I'm not as inclined to. But mm -hmm. I really started to put my focus and energy because I really feel like this is one of the things that I enjoy doing mm -hmm. is in regards to helping people get into law school. Mm -hmm. and manifest their dreams because I feel like that's a huge void because when I got dismissed from law school the first thing we do is what we go to Google to try to find answers right yeah and when I went to Google to try to find answers there wasn't nothing there you know and I felt like man I was trying to figure everything out and it was just a loss and you know I really wanted to make sure because I get so many email messages and DMs from people saying I got dismissed from law school what do I need to do and being that resource to help people get back on track, man, it's a rewarding thrill. Every day when I get messages about people getting admitted and I've helped them get admitted, I feel priceless. You know, once you graduated from law school, you know, how did, where did the idea of becoming JD come from and what inspired you to uh, start this initiative? Oh, well, I remember one day I was driving in the car. My wife at this time had already started Project Diversify Medicine. Uh, which is uh, her organization where she helps uh, get people into medical school and help educate them about the medical school process. And I was just like, man, I need to be doing something like that for lawyers. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, you know, I told you that long time ago. <laughs> and I mean, that, that was pretty much how it goes. And I mean, you know, and after that, Becoming JD was born. And, you know, it's definitely been a remarkable journey right now we're about a, a, a little over almost at 8,000 followers and we've probably uh, secured over $355,000 worth of scholarship money in just two years with regards to our clients and secured admissions for over 30 people in a two-year span and so that's something that I'm very proud about but also I realized there's so many other people that still need help and so many different areas from uh, finding law school to finding out how to raise their LSAT to even trying to figure out ways to add experience to their resume. Because unfortunately, a lot of this information, it's not out there or, you know, you have to hide and find it, you know, but unfortunately people don't have money to spend on these prep courses, you know, but there's ways for you to get prep courses free, but you got to go to slide 20 on Google before you get to it. How was it taking that idea of becoming JD, that idea phase, and turning it into what it is now? You know, what was that process like? Uh, well, it first started with doing a lot of research in regards to seeing what the needs were, um, because everybody has different needs and everybody's situation is different. You know, one niche, of course, is talking about people who are dismissed from law school. However, if that niche is so small, there's other dynamics that also need to be addressed as well. And so it's about trying to identify, you know, where my population was and what it was that they needed. 
And once I diagnosed that specifically what people needed was direction and resources, then it kind of helped clear that path. And then one of the things that we did was we then, of course, then kind of added features for people to be able to see uh, a realization of people manifesting their lawyer dreams. It's one thing to tell people, provide resources and help, but then it's another thing for people to be able to then go through your website, your profile, and be able to see people who look like them doing what it is that you want to do. And unfortunately, you know, especially in the field of the law, we know that there's that we know that there's black and brown lawyers. We know that they're black and brown judges. But guess what? Fairly often we don't see them too often. And in my graduating class, when I graduated from law school, there were only three black guys, myself included, in a class of over 200. And so see that absence oftentimes, you know, can serve as a sense of discouragement. And so when people come to my IG profile or come to my website, they're gonna they're gonna see people who look like them doing legal things and and prospering in the legal field. Because I want them to be able to realize that success by people of color in the legal field is something that is not a surprise. It's not only expected, it's something that's been happening for over 151 years. What advice would you give to your younger self? Honestly, the rawest, honest advice I would give myself is to tell myself, man, stop looking at the glass half full. Because in order for you to be successful, you have to be so brutally honest with yourself that you realize that you're not, that you're never comfortable. I had always allowed myself to feel comfortable because I always had an optimistic personality. And it's sometimes something I have to stop to this day because optimism is sometimes least place for complacency. But when you're able to see, you become so paranoid about making sure that everything is right, then you know what, there's not going to be mistakes. Because there was nothing that, not, the only difference between myself the first time I went to law school and my second time is that's the reality that it could be taken away from me. Because when I went to law school the second time, I was married. I had kids. So I had less time. So every excuse possible for me not to be successful was there. But when you compare it to my first time, I had no responsibility. My girlfriend at that time, now wife, was in Boston. And I was in New Orleans. No kids. And I had all the time in the world and I wasted it. And so I would just encourage, I would tell myself, man, just get it right the first time. You would have saved yourself time, you would have saved yourself money. And you know what, man? You would not have had to work so hard to try to get back to get back to where you were supposed to be three years before. Looking back over your life, what does trust in the process mean to you? It means accepting that your way is not always going to work, that your way ultimately may not lead to immediate dividends, but that you're ultimately going to be making a down payment on a brighter future. And understanding that the day-by-day -day struggle is leading towards a manifestation. Every day, repeating the same process, you're planting seeds, and eventually those seeds are going to grow. And that's what I believe trust the process means for me. Your journey is just filled with potholes and, you know, <laughs> it's not straight. When you think about a straight road, yours is filled with dirt roads and curves. And, you know, what motivated you to keep going? You know, what was your why? 
honestly probably one of the biggest motivations for me was my wife because I used to always think that I worked hard, but I never seen anybody work so hard for the fact that they got sick or worked so hard that they literally fell asleep studying and would wake up and start studying again. And seeing her work ethic, and seeing how much she, how much, and seeing her manifest her dreams, that was all the motivation that I needed because, well, it was a huge reality check when I thought I was working hard because I stayed up to two o'clock and she was still working hard going off for two days and no sleep. And so understanding that, you know, ultimately in order to be successful, this requires you to put that work, man, man, you know, relentlessly. And I mean, that was one of the things that I, I was definitely able to see from my wife that I'm happy bled off a little bit on me. Now, I ain't on her level yet, but I'm almost getting there. But just seeing, realizing that, you know what, mistakes does not mean that this thing can't happen. It just means that you're being tested to determine how much willing the fight to make it. And I'm stubborn when it comes to my dreams, and I'm not going to let nothing stop me. I, I want to ask for those married individuals out there. Um, we had a guy, Marquise Taylor, on episode 47. Uh, he talked about he learned how to study by seeing his wife study. She went to the University of Michigan and he saw her in the library. He learned how to pick it up. I told him the same thing. My testimony was I went to Florida and m and I went over to Florida State's library with my wife and I, and I saw how she was getting in. And I was like, man, this I guess this is what it takes. You know what I mean? But learning that from your wife, but also being in a relationship and being married or at the time being in a committed relationship, how do you, you know, commit yourself fully to a relationship but also like not compromising for your dream? Because I think we're all on that journey right now. I think one of the things that I have had to learn is that knowing that you have somebody that you're not alone and knowing that you have someone out there who is working towards the same goal as you. And oftentimes, when pursuing your dreams, it can feel very isolated because you feel as if, you know, it's just you and your books and your dreams. But oftentimes, the most empowering thing is to know that you have a rock. You have somebody there in your corner who is fighting for their dreams and also is full of faith fueling your dreams while you're also fueling theirs as well. I mean, honestly, that support system is something that I can honestly say, uh, if it wasn't for my wife, I definitely would not have made it this far. And I truly believe that oftentimes we serve, kind of like when you go to the gym, you're spotting each other simultaneously through each step. And as, the, as you continue to put on more weight, of course, that support becomes even more important for you for you to continue to persevere and break through. Are there any lasting words you want to leave with our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you so much, you guys, for having me on the show. Uh, the last word I want to leave to the listeners is I want to let you guys to remember that anything worth having is worth working for. And do not allow anybody to tell you that you don't deserve it. And even if, in fact, somebody tells you no, realize that you are the one who holds it and whether you have it or not. Because guess what? One no does not mean it's open. One rejection doesn't mean it's open. Only you are the one who determines whether it's open. So that's you pursuing your dreams of becoming a lawyer, practicing medicine, or becoming the next LeBron James. Ultimately, all of it's going to lay with you. 
And so I encourage you guys to keep quiet regardless of your discipline, regardless of your discipline. Thank you again. Where can the listeners find you uh, to tap into uh, becoming JD uh, and get information on, you know, getting into law school? Absolutely. You can definitely follow me at on Instagram at, at becomingjd. That's becomingjd, one word. Of course, you can also check out my website at www.becomingjd.com. Um, we try and we're also, of course, available on Twitter. Uh, we are oftentimes, if in fact you send us direct messages, emails, try to get back to contact with people within 24 hour time period. We are committed to helping people get answers. Understand that there's no such thing as stupid questions. Honestly, if you want to be a lawyer, we're here to help you, and we're here to help you successfully navigate that process. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth. Overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.